Morning all, uh, Benny Matthews, we're back, Footy Rants is live. Um, for those that are following on uh, YouTube today, we've, I've got a little bit of screenplay just because I'm, I'm going solo, so if you guys are following on Facebook now, um, you know, maybe post some questions, uh, no doubt most of you are at work, it's about 10am Brisbane time, so um, yeah, there's a little bit of screenplay going on. Uh, via YouTube, so you'll be able to. I'll post all the links and all the audio and stuff like that. But yeah, probably a little bit more uh, to get through uh, via YouTube. But I thought I'd, I'd still do what I do, even though I'm by myself again today. Uh, and yeah, just just get through a few few uh, more interesting things around stories of the week and and shit like that. So yeah, look, um, five weeks. So as of the end of next week, we're going to be about half uh, a quarter of the way through the season. So you know. Those, those teams that are thinking, oh, you know, we, we might only have one or two wins on the board, slowly those losses are starting to count up. So all of a sudden we have to start taking into consideration the likes of the Dragons, the Warriors, the Tigers, the Titans, Newcastle. Like these are all teams in the top eight. So, um, yeah, the, the, the ladder looks like this. So we've got the Dragons, Warriors, Penrith, and the Tigers in the top four. Who had the Warriors and the Tigers in the top four after over a month of footy? Absolutely crazy. Uh, then we go on to the, the bottom half of the top eight. The Roosters, Titans, Newcastle, and Manly round out the top eight despite losing on the weekend. Uh, and then the bottom eight, Melbourne, Rabbitohs, Sharks, Broncos, Raiders, Cowboys, Bulldogs, and Parramatta still without a win. Who would have thought that you would have seen Melbourne, Cronulla, Brisbane, and North Queensland in the bottom eight after five weeks of footy. Just goes to show that, you know, the the nature of the beast that is the NRL, it, it's such a, it's a, it's a knife's edge, really, as far as results go season to season. And I think we're in a, a transition period at the moment as far as era of the sport goes, uh, where we're going to see a few clubs start to develop um, and, and become, you know, I guess, more regular winners that, that we're expected of. I uh, just want to go through a few few stories. I know uh, Cuff and I like to have a bit of a yarn um, at, the, at the start of the podcast uh, before we dive into anything proper review. So, yeah, for those following on um, on YouTube, uh, you'll, you'll be able to see uh, some of these stories that I've got up. And, and the big talking point was uh, the post-match press conference uh, for Newcastle and Coach Nathan Brown uh, with his little verbal attack on the the veteran coach Wayne Bennett, um, I quite enjoyed it to be perfectly honest. Um, I, I'd like to see see more of it. I, I think the personalities in the game sort of shy away, and Blake and I have discussed this before. We think it sort of comes back to that that tall poppy syndrome nature of Australia, uh, where you know if you sort of speak out of school, that fear of failure later on down the track, you, you're afraid that that's going to come back to haunt you. So um, look. Again, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, just just a quote, you know, if you haven't seen it, uh, go back and, and look it up on either, you know, Fox Sports or or um, the NRL website. Uh, but they were basically sort of, you know, questioning him. Uh, I don't actually know what Wayne Bennett had said to, to trigger the attack from um, Nathan Brown. But, yeah, he's, he's quoted here as saying, um, you know, the old Fox, he's won seven premierships. He's coached for 30 years and I ain't ever publicly bagged Wayne or anyone. And then he comes and he has a shot at me. I just don't think he needs to behave like that. The reality is when Wayne came to town, if he thought with his big head rather than his little head, I wouldn't have had to rebuild the joint. 
and then he just storms out of the press conference and and Mitchell Pierce, the captain, had a had a good little chuckle as well. So um, look, I thought he raised some some relatively valid points. Uh, didn't necessarily leave the club um, in the greatest of hands, but to to put it simply down to to Wayne Bennett. Uh, I know it was probably more in the moment that that Brown's blown up and, and defending um, his coaching credentials as well, and, and hats off to him. Uh, but also Nathan Tinkle was a big part of of Newcastle falling apart financially and all the debt that he um, assumed throughout his uh, various business ventures. So yeah, that that was a little entertainment value for the for the sport um, outside of you know seeing. Uh, public behavior dramas that like we're, we're usually used to. Uh, the second one was, uh, again, I, it, it's hard to know when you're, when you're watching, you know, the big networks, whether it be Fox or channel nine, whether these certain personalities and commentators alike are saying things to be deliberately controversial to, to help draw a headline. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's their job. Uh, the, the ratings that I'm sure Fox are getting now that they've got the, the share of, of the media and you know there's so many different shows they've got the dedicated channel after last season and it's really starting to build um i think as far as speaking to the broader market having so many female um staff members they're obviously ticking that uh socio-political box as well um but yeah um brandy brandy um sort of came out and said before the the start of the cowboys game he asked if if he thinks JT's played too long. Uh, he's quoted as saying, he looks a little out of sorts. He's looking like someone that's possibly played the game a little bit too long. I've seen players when they get too old, they hit the ground more often. They are easy to tackle. They've lost half a yard of speed. That's not to say JT won't find his feet, but that's how he's playing at the moment. He looks half a yard off the pace. And Cooper Cronk was actually on the panel at the same time and um, was sort of a little taken aback and was, was fairly confident and then backed up JT and, and said that he felt like he was probably going to be one of the best players on the field. And um, I guess not that anyone likes to um, see anyone fail, but uh, I guess the, the sentiments that, that Brandy was echoing did sort of come true. You know, JT had a, had a pretty shocking game again. Well, not a shocking game, but, but yeah, I, I guess it's, it's getting back to the point that he's trying to make. Is, is just below par, below the standard that we expect of this champion player. And uh, I know as a Cowboys fan sort of leading into this season, you sort of felt as though um, now that he was stepping away from representative football, it would, it would only add to the value that he was going to bring to the side as well, which hasn't yet happened after five weeks of footy, unfortunately. But um, we'll get more to the performance once I break that game down. But yeah, I just wanted to touch on a few of those little things. Um, aside from that, uh, we've also had the the conversation around the referees and, and where things were improving there. And I thought we saw a lot more free-flowing footy. Uh, there was, you know, still the penalty. I guess the argument now for the clubs is, you know, we've had certain teams lose last week because of this disciplinary action taken uh, more strictly by the referees and now it seemingly seems to have, have lightened up. So now I'm behind the eight ball as of last week. You know, uh, the team that comes to mind is one that's on the screenplay now. Uh, is, is the Canterbury Bulldogs. Um, a few disciplinary things there, and you, you could really argue uh, that Greg English try when Josh Jackson was out of position and stuff like that. So that they're the difference between you know winning and losing, making finals, not making finals. Um, yeah, so let's, let's, let's get into the round. Uh, we, we go back to Thursday now. The Raiders off the duck egg. Uh, 
with a, a 26 points to 10 victory over Canterbury Bulldogs. And yeah, this is the opportunity where I have to eat my humble pie. Um, had, you know, Rhino sort of asked me on the Facebook Live whether um, I thought the, the public dressing down that Ricky Stewart gave last week was going to cause a response uh, in his players, particularly the likes of Leilua and Rapana. And, and I, um, you know, out and out said, no, I don't see it happening at all. I think they'll lose again. Uh, and lo and behold, arguably the best player on the field was none other than Joey Leilua. So clearly, clearly it did work. Um, you know, he scored two tries within the first 15 minutes of the game. Uh, and that really set um, the, the Raiders up for a for a really strong strong game. And the thing that I like most um, about this performance was uh, just the adversity they sort of overcame, especially in the second half. Um, there were there were a number of injuries. There were a couple of HIAs. Um, Adahingano got knocked out uh, really really brutally by by Greg Eastwood, and then um, uh, Michael Oldfield, the the substitute. Winger uh, also succumbed to another HIA. Uh, and then Sam Williams, the halfback, ended up going off. Uh, so so all of a sudden, they were, they were down to one on the bench. And you're getting into the, the latter stages of the game. And, and Kieran Foran scores in the 51st minute. And, and all of a sudden, you're sitting there as someone who tipped the, the Bulldogs. And I'm like, well, here, here they come. It's 12-6. They just got to get in the arm wrestle. Um, but then all of a sudden... Five minutes later, Jared Croker, who got shifted to the wing, scores that try, and and they just kept going on with it. So uh, this this leads me to the, the questions of what what happens now. Again, we, we come back to that question that we've asked probably for the last two or three seasons. What happens with the Canterbury Bulldogs attack? Um, what what are the answers? So we, we sort of go down and and have a look at the the performers for for the Raiders. And like I said, it was was BJ Leilua was was the standout. Um, but where that, that attack lacked for me for Canterbury is evident in the defensive efforts um, of Aiden Caesar and Sam Williams uh, only had to make 8 and 5 tackles respectively so that sort of tells me that they're, they're, especially when you've got someone as, as fresh within the system as, as Williams coming back into the side having played little football with Caesar um you know, you, you want to really make sure that they're working overtime in defense so that when they do get the footy in hand, you're hoping that they're a yard of pace off. And I, th I think you, you've got to start to come back and have a look at the tradition of the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs uh, with respect to their forwards play. You know, it's that rock'em, sock'em, get up the guts, get in the arm wrestle. But... Are they trying to trying to relive an era of rugby league that is no longer viable anymore? And that's that 1980s style where they did have such success. Um, you know, you've got the likes of Aaron Woods and David Clemmer there, but I, I don't think that that necessitates playing that style of football. When you've got um, attacking weapons, you know, the, the seemingly best move that's come out of all of this is Moses Zembai to fullback. Uh, but he's just still not getting enough opportunities on the ball. Uh, you've you've got the luxury of having someone with the ball playing ability of a Hopawade on an edge. Again, doesn't see enough of the ball. They, they need to play more more to their edges. Um, they, they've got some great back rowers in in Josh Jackson and um, for Tyler Mariner. Uh, but but yeah, they seeing seeing the 
number of tackles. So 13, 13 combined tackles from the halves just, just illustrates to me that they're not playing expansive enough football. And what worked in their win a fortnight ago didn't work this game. And then they never had anything else to follow it up with. So I think that shows the flaw and immaturity of an attacking outfit when you try to keep going for something working. It's it's in every other, like 15 of the other teams within the NRL, it's in their best interest to watch your gameplay and then snuff that out. But then it's in your best interest as a professional football team to have something outside of that one game, game style of gameplay. And I think we're starting to see a few clubs that are struggling with that at the moment. The um, clubs like the Brisbane Broncos come to mind. Um, even, even my Cowboys are sort of doing the same thing. So, um, you know, you... You really need to, to question, I guess, the forward-thinking nature of some of the leaders within this team to say, hey, this isn't working, so what do we do now? They've, they've all played enough football to, to realise that they have the control. Yes, I can go in with a game plan from Dean Pay, but at the same time, like they're all individuals that can come together and, and work on something new, even if that is on the fly, because you don't know what could come out as a result of that. So that, that for me, was the... The biggest disappointment is is seeing this stalling nature of of the Canterbury attack yet again. Um, so, the question I'm now asking is how long until Josh Cleland uh, gets a start in the NRL? Uh, we've seen his name dropped a few times. Uh, the the big hype was around Marshall King when he first came into six and they got that win. They've now put two losses together. Um, and again, how much change is too much change? I don't know. And to, uh, to, I guess, support my sentiments of, of changing things up in attack, uh, it would be to keep some smaller men, play some upstyle footy. I'd like to see Marshall King stay there and go back to his nine position. And, and Cleland's quite a big, big guy. If you haven't seen anything of him, he, he sort of came through that successful Ipswich Jets side a couple of years ago and, and then moved down south. I think he had a year with the Sharks before moving to the Bulldogs. Um, but yeah, he, he's a big body. Um, I think he would complement... Kieran Foran quite well, where you could try and develop e- either one of them into into a genuine half and then let that running nature play off the back of that. Um, I don't think you need three runners there, even though Foran is traditionally a runner of the ball in the teams that we've seen him playing in the past. But, you know, is that over now? Should we see him play that first receiver role and and really start to, to lead a side around that then, you know, the Dragons are having success with and, and playing that running style left and right with a 5'8 and a fullback, especially now that Embi does have that ball-playing ability and, and is, is showing up either side of the ruck with great success. So, look, yeah, a, a more and more disappointment for Bulldogs fans, unfortunately, and um, they come up against the Cowboys. Uh, so they're, they're in 14th and 15th place, respectively, with only one win each, and um, one of those sides is going to stay there. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting once we break that down and, and see the squads for, for that game. But... Yeah, hats off to, to Ricky Stewart. You've seen the, the bloke stressing out the sideline, jumping up and down. He, he spent the whole time on the sideline, not in the box, which I like. Uh, you see coaches like Brad Arthur and the like sort of come down on the sideline to be with their players. Uh, so I think areas where where they can continue to, to build on uh, is just that support from the back five. They, they did really well uh, to in, in that transitionary period to help gain that momentum within the first uh, three tackles of each set. So, uh, yeah, big, big, big positives in the way. They're, they're off the mark. Uh, big confidence builder, and that's that's what BJ Lua and Rapana are. They're confidence players. Uh, so now that they've they've shaken that off their back and sort of 
stuck it to to people like me um, and and mainstream media. Uh, they they can move forward and and look to try and generate some momentum. So hats off to them. Good on them. Uh, we move to Friday night. Cronulla versus the Roosters. Uh, a really comfortable win in the end for for Sydney. Um, twenty eight points to ten, and and again a point that I made leading into the game, even though it was being played at Sharp Park, it, they haven't really made it a fortress like they did back in uh, in 2016. And, um, you know, it, it showed. There, there were some individuals who were on the up for, for Cronulla, and, and that was seemingly Valentine Holmes, despite having a, an error out of dummy half early on in the game, went on to score two good tries. Um, but, but for the Roosters... Um, I think it, it came um, a, a lot down to a bit more of the discipline. So we have a look um, at at the completion rates. It was it was quite a, a good game. Both sides completing roughly around that that eighty percent. We go down to the negative play here. Um, you know, ten errors made by the Roosters and nine by the Sharks. Um, penalties conceded eight and seven respectively. Um, you've you've really got a Look at the consistency that you're trying to generate when another side is turning that amount of football over. You need to try and capitalise on that from a Cronulla's perspective, and they didn't. You know, when you're matching set for set and, and it gets a little bit sloppy, it, it really gets hard to generate that when you're playing from behind the eight ball. And the only player who really looked likely for Cronulla um, in the forward pack uh, was Andrew Fafita. I uh, thought he, he had probably the best game of his season so far. But then, you know, goes off late with that injury. I can't even really remember what it was. Uh, they, I think they tried to disguise it as a HIA, and um, I think they did get away with it in the end. But, uh, yeah, hats off to to the Roosters. Um, Kronk showing his maturity. You can sort of see that um, during the game that he's talking a lot more on the field. Uh, and you can almost see a little bit of the frustration there that he obviously hasn't had to deal with for a number of years because I guess the the systems are so tight at the Melbourne Storm that everyone really knows their role. And it, it must be a little bit uh, overwhelming at times to have to continually talk and talk and talk. Um, even with Kiri, you see him having lengthy conversations at times about where the, the play needs to go and, and things that they're working towards. Uh, but I guess that was the sort of challenge that he would have been looking to embark on in, in moving to the Roosters, you know, knowing that the success that is demanded of that club as well. Um, but they're sort of stumbling at that final hurdle um, since winning the title back in 2013. So no doubt they're looking to build towards something like that yet again. Um so yeah, that just awareness and, and desperation pushing up on the footy. You know, we've seen the rewards for, for Madison in scoring his couple of tries and, and that was positive. Um, but as going back to the Sharks attack now, um, you know, it was really clunky, still missing um, still missing the likes of Dugan. So they've, they've had a change out the back yet, yet again. So Moylan... Uh, ended up going back to fullback for the first time this season. So that's the third different fullback in only five weeks. Uh, and when you're making that many changes to the spine, you have to argue the fact that it is hard to find consistency. Um, but yeah, he's, for mine, Moylan is still playing with 
the the catch pass off the cuff nature that he had success with at Penrith, and I've mentioned this before, that he's he's really struggling with the structure that Cronulla play with. And I think a lot of that has to do with the age and maturity of this Cronulla forward pack. You know, you've got the likes of Gallon, um, Pryor, Fafida, Lewis, Graham. They're all older guys. They're, there's not really any super young kids coming through in that forward pack um, that are able to play that off-the-cuff nature that he's used to with the youth that is in that Penrith pack that he's left. Uh, and, and I think... He's used to having guys just showing up on that ad-lib style and that's where the errors are sort of coming in and, and he's really struggling to, to comprehend with that. And you can see the frustration on his face. Uh, he ended up coming up with three or four costly errors. And like we said, when, when you're talking about a team that um, comes up with nine errors total and, and you're responsible for almost half of them and you're a part of that spine, you've really got to put your hand up and say, hey, fuck, I've got to be more disciplined than that. And after you come up with one or two, even though you are trying to make opportunities, I get that with a scoreline when you're down like that, um, especially, you know, three tries in the, in the first half and then you're trying to get that arm wrestle back in the second half because the Sharks come out really, really strong. Um, they, they started to open up the edges. They, they got to Kiri quite well in the early exchanges, but then um, some good defense from the Roosters uh, saw them, as we see quite often, the, the team then get out of trouble quite easily because the, the opposition struggled to transition from all the ball they've had early into their first bout of um, defence uh, and opportunities arise and some are taken, some are not. And in this instance, the Roosters took those and, and were first to score. So a good way to respond after a super disappointing loss for the Roosters last week to the Warriors. Uh, and I think that sort of echoed my thoughts leading into this game that um, losing in that fashion, it was perhaps more just a, a really, really vast loss of momentum after they scored really easily in the first couple of minutes and they could just never wrestle it back. And that's credit more so to the New Zealand Warriors for, for continuing to not let the Roosters get back into an arm wrestle. And then for the Sharks, I wasn't super convinced. One try scored, they kicked their way to, to victory through penalty goals Um so yeah, I really felt that the Roosters could could bounce back with a lot more structure and then obviously more changes to the spine. Even though I actually liked it, I liked having that stability of Hodkinson there. But again, talking about this contrasting nature that we're used to seeing with some of the more successful clubs at the moment, it's evident that it's not there with, with a halves combination of Hodkinson and Townsend. So yeah, back to the drawing board for, for Flanagan. And, and there's a few successful coaches over the last three seasons um, in, in Flanagan, Bellamy, and Green, um, I wouldn't say extreme pressure just yet, but definitely mounting pressure for those three coaches as, as the season ages. Uh, the other game on Friday night, Dragons and the Rabbitohs. Look, scoreline for me doesn't really reflect the true nature and, and the true dominance of, of the St. George side. Um, I thought they played uh, extremely well uh, yet again. Uh, led by the, the tenacity of their forward pack. Um, I think e even contributors is the best way to describe uh, their success for the forwards at the moment. And it sort of resonates with uh, their style of play from, from last year's success in the first half of the season. So no doubt the idea now is to, to continue to pro progress that. And um, yeah, just that balance between Vaughan, Graham and DeBellin, those middles, in particular, to start the game was was really, really good. Jack DeBellin was great yet again. 
Um, I, I feel like every week um, Graham is, is continuing to improve. Um, but yet, yet again, that ball play from DeBellin at first receiver is, is working a treat just to create that, that extra bit of space off the ruck uh, for your pivots. Um, areas where I thought the Dragons lacked a little bit was just that running game from their halves that has worked well early on from Hunt and Widdop. Now, they only had five carries between themselves, and uh, I, I hope that that's addressed by McGregor um, leading into this week. And uh, I'm pretty sure the Dragons have the Sharks again for another derby, uh, knowing that they came down from 14-0 last time and, and getting that win. Uh, they'll be keen to start a lot better and make sure that they go on with a victory uh, to continue this unbeaten run. Obviously, the outside backs laying that platform supremely, supremely well uh, for, for McGregor's side. The finishing ability of Nene McDonald for me and Ewan Aiken, they're two players that are really starting to put themselves in contention for origin jerseys over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the success of a side in this first portion of the year, it really does wonders for the questionability of an origin coach to say, hey, where do I fit the, the current form of these players into my structure outside of guys that I feel the need to pick based off their previous um, performances within State of Origin? And it's going to be really, really interesting to see um, some of the... like. There's going to be some no doubt risk involved from, from both Fittler and Walters with the sides that they choose, but I think it's it's a necessary risk for the development. And again, I think we're going to see, we're coming into a new era of state of origin football as well, the, the passing of of the baton, so to speak. And, and I'm really looking forward to it as a rugby league fan uh, to see what sort of blue side we end up getting together. So obviously, Nene McDonald's in contention for Queensland, Ewan Aitken for New South Wales. Ewan Aitken's performance one-on-one with uh, GI. Geez, you haven't seen someone take the game to to GI like that in a number of years, and and it was really, really exciting to see. Uh, Even just physically, uh, the contact that he was able to withstand, and um, I think Kevy Walters, to an extent, has sort of backed himself into a corner by already saying that he's going to pick Greg Inglis. I I don't think that that's the the right move. Uh, I don't like the way that State of Origin is coached in that respect that, um, you know, you're, you're showing loyalty and blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's your, you're the coach. You're the tech. You, you decide who stays and who goes. And I think the confidence around that, yes, no doubt you want to build respect because let's face it, when you are in camp, you're not really coaching the individual. It's about the cohesion of that side coming as quickly as you can. So... Yeah, for, for me, those guys are both both picked as, as long, you know, I know we're only at the start of April, so we've we've still got about another, what, six weeks or so before those sides are selected. But, hell, it's a it's a great start. And the finishing capabilities of Nene McDonald are probably something that, that gets me most excited. And, yeah, since that, that corner post uh, rule has come into play over the last, well, it's got to be about five or six seasons, I suppose, since we've had that rule changed, uh the increase in ability and um, awareness of the wingers to, to know where their, their sideline is and, and which hand they're carrying the ball in and the timing of the jump and the, just the sheer body positions that they're getting in is so, so cool. Um, so, yeah, it's it was to, to get back more to the crux of the game, I suppose. Um, in one respect, as a Bunnies fan, I guess you're, you're sort of pleased that your, your side's 
staying in the game on the scoreboard. Um, but I, I felt that the game was really won and lost in the end in that forward pack. Um, missing Sam Burgess was key. No other forwards really stood up to a certain degree. Um, I thought Gagai was good from the back and probably had one of his better games. So, you know, it was good to see Gagai and Valentine Holmes moving in the right direction as far as form to put themselves um, in contention for, for origin selection. And again, I guess if you look at it on paper, you'd have to be playing some pretty horrible football for Gagai not to be selected after getting man of the series. Again, I don't like the selections being based on previous results. I think you should be picked on, on merit. Um, and at the moment, I don't think he's quite there. It's not to say that, that he can't build towards something. Um, but yeah, the, the, the score line, it, it didn't really resemble, I know I've said it, it didn't really resemble the, the performance, I thought, defensively from the Dragons. I thought they were both them, probably the Warriors. There's a few teams, Penrith and Manly, uh, I think are the most physical in defence at the moment doesn't mean they're the most effective. That was evident from the 32 points that were leaked by Manly that we'll get to uh, later in the podcast. But I think first up contact and, and just aggression, uh, the Dragons are, are showing great aggression in defence at the moment uh, and had that, that disallowed try uh, for the obstruction. And then if Nene McDonald grounds that ball, all of a sudden it, it blows straight out and, and they're five tries behind the Rabbitohs and they're not even a sniff. And I know you, you can only play with the results that, that you're obtaining. So th this isn't necessarily a bag on the Rabbitohs. You, you can only do what you can do. And if you're in a game, of course you're going to try and win it. Uh, that would be ridiculous. But um, yeah, props, props to the forwards. Um, I think that was just about all the notes that I wanted to make. Uh, we sort of go through there again. So yeah, top performers, uh, Jack DeBellin again, 155 meters. Um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty tidy game. Uh, it wasn't, I guess, the most entertaining, again, because it was a, a lot of fight for territory coming with the, the back three, back five. Uh, there wasn't any great high run meters from, from any particular forwards. Um, and then if we sort of go down to, to the negative play, again, there, you know, errors starting to creep up, uh, close to 20 for the game. Penalties conceded, uh, 17 for the game. So whilst better than it was last week, still not the, the most entertaining style of football. And I thought there were a number of games across the round that sort of ticked that box of not the most entertaining games to see. And, and I think that's probably more comes down to the, the desperation that some clubs are in at the moment as far as fighting for wins. And um, I guess clubs that aren't expected to win fighting for that ascendancy early on and, and trying to build that foundation for, for September footy. Uh, on to the next game, so we had the, the Super Saturday, the doubleheader in, at Mount Smart, which was a great success. Uh, the biggest crowds uh, we've seen in New Zealand since they, they played a semi-final against the Roosters a number of years ago. And uh, yeah, they they were treated to, to some uh, entertaining footy, probably more so in this first game. It was, it was a little bit sloppy in both games, but I guess the... The scoreline and what was at stake in this game of the Tigers versus Storm, and, and the Tigers ended up going on to win 11 points to 10. Uh, a lot of talking points around this game. Um, most notably, the performance of rookie halfback Brody Croft, uh, yet again struggling for 
for consistency, the poor young fella, uh, it's it's really hard to watch at times because it's it's definitely not coming from a lack of effort. It's definitely time based, and uh, I, looking back on it now, it, it really does surprise me how much expectation was put on this young kid's shoulders. Uh, whilst he does possess maturity beyond his years, um, and we we got to remember he's not even twenty yet either. Um, but just those little things, I've been uh, fairly critical of his defence leading into the season. Uh, I thought the underbelly was displayed a little bit in the World Club Challenge match against Leeds in the early try that Leeds did score. Um, but yeah, he got he got found out again. A few little, I guess the biggest thing for the Melbourne Storm were the unforced errors. So um, the, the West Tigers held majority of possession early. Uh, the... The storm scrambled well. There was that that held up in the corner uh, that Vunavalu defended quite well. Um, you know, and you even go back further than that. That young Tonomapia um, missed that opportunity to score that try. So if he scores that one early, you know, does momentum shift even more? Of course it does. Um, but yeah, it, it just goes, I guess, against the the Melbourne Storm that we're used to seeing as one that takes those 50, 50, 50 opportunities. Uh, and that must be frustrating for the older guys, but more importantly for the younger guys because I guess they sort of expect to be that next crop that that starts to work for. And and when that doesn't happen, obviously that pressure mounts. So then we go to Josh Adokar, tries to save that 40-20, flicks the ball in wildly. If you haven't, if you didn't catch the game, go back and watch the highlights. Um, yeah. But the wrap out of this play that I want to give goes to Josh Alloyer. If you go back and watch that, his ability and I guess more so awareness to drop his body position low in the, the defense that's coming from, from the left-hand side and knowing that the uh, the conditions, the greasy conditions being in New Zealand, that he's going to slide over the line, uh, just great awareness. Uh, really key little one percenters, you know, that sort of come back to, you know, which hand you carry the ball in and stuff like that. The real minutiae of the game that you start to hone in and perfect at being a professional, uh, really a big, big tick in the box, something that I noticed straight away on that play that, that put his team um, in the box seat. Uh, then, then you, again, more compounding errors. Brody Croft and Vunavalu, we spoke about it on that right edge, um, having Tom Mapea, that, that was always going to be the edge that the Tigers were going to look for vulnerabilities in. And uh, it probably came in a fashion that they weren't really expecting when they let that kickoff bounce. I'm not sure what happened communicatively between Vunavalu and Croft, but you've seen the anguish on his face as soon as Brody Croft left it. I don't know if there'd been an early call from Vunavalu or whether he just expected, like whether he knew that it was going over his head uh, quite early on and expected Vunavalu to take it. But, you know, they scored points um, straight after that and Chris Lawrence, and that was from uh, Brody Croft being caught on his lonesome, uh, got, got held up, with the players on the outside, and then that created too much space back on the inside between himself and Felice Cafusi, and they're both left diving and at um, at legs and, and got into arms tackles, which is exactly what you're trying to trying to find as a back rower, and it was executed to perfection. And then, you know, that's not to say that the Melbourne Storm didn't have their opportunities to win the game, despite what I believe that they didn't deserve it anyway. Um, seeing the short ball from Munster to, to Hoffman that was was called forward and correctly called forward. Uh, and then right at the death, uh, Munster again tries that little crossfield kick for Addo Carr, and there was no one that would have caught him, but again, just bounces the ball, bounces back behind him, goes out into touch. So, yeah, there was there was a few little clutch moments, but 
Again, the stand-up performance of, of Josh Alloy, eh? 173 run metres. Uh, it's some of the younger fellas, yeah, that are really standing up. Alex Twoll, um, Eisenhuth are continuing, and then the, the experience of Madalino and, and Packer continues to show week after week. And the maturity of someone like Benji Marshall to go out there and knock that field goal over at, at such a cl clutch moment, um, again, it's just, I guess, resonating the fact that having him on the field is just taking that pressure off, off Luke Brooks. And we, we've seen him sort of get his running game going uh, with having that stability of Benji Marshall there. Two line breaks from Luke Brooks. Um, but yeah, again, completions, 65% yet again from, from the Storm. So two weeks in a row. I would love to know if that's ever happened. Again, a stat that never happened. Tigers have never beaten Melbourne Storm two times in a row, let alone twice in a year. So big, big ups for the, the Tigers and what Ivan Cleary is building out of that club. It's, it's really exciting. And once uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Josh Reynolds is in the fray to make his comeback this, this round in round six, uh, and I'm of the opinion, as most are, that, that Reynolds doesn't find his, his spot in that 13. Uh, 17, I think you're paying enough money for the bloke and, and that he is going to add. He's not going to detract from this side, um, and he's going to be more than a, a worthy uh, replacement. But but I guess, again, like you, you put him at nine, but then who misses out between Peter Godinay and, and Jacob Little? Not to mention they've got um, McKilrick on their books as well. So now you, you've sort of, I guess, poisoned with, with opportunity uh, of having potentially four players that, that can play nine. Yeah, I, I don't know which way you go. Um, I would probably, To be honest, I probably like what Jacob Little's brought to, to the Tigers' attack off the bench. Um, but again, it, it's going, going to be thoroughly, thoroughly interesting. But I, I think you'll more than likely see um, Josh Reynolds come off the bench. Um, I guess an area where um, Craig Bellamy will be um, a lot more happier is, in, we have a look here, is the, the negative play and the penalties conceded. But 19 errors, man. 19 errors to the Melbourne Storm. It's it's really incredible. It's it's really, really incredible to see a side that we um, have so much respect for. Um, but I guess, you know, that's... I guess that's that's almost like the biased, I guess, Queensland nature coming out of me. It's it's the expectation, and I guess um, that's what what breeds success in that club is that expectation from within. And you can see how salty they get when they when they don't win. So uh, it, it's good to see that it still means something to them. But uh, like any great coach side, uh, I think we're going to see more good things come out of Melbourne Storm than bad. But are they going to make the top four? That is probably the biggest question now that that, that threatens their success. Uh, and based off their form at the moment, you'd have to say no, knowing that uh, there's there's going to be a, a number of players that play State of Origin still. You know, Munster and Smith. So they're already struggling with that spine as it is. And Slater. So you, you take those three away, then even more pressure mounts on Brodie Croft and, and so the circle continues. So... Really interesting times coming ahead for the middle part of the season for Craig Bellamy's uh, players. Uh, not to mention, you know, you've got some guys, in, Will Chambers is going to be there, you would suspect. Um, Kafusi's on the cusp. Uh, Christian Welsh has been in emerging developments uh, for Queensland. I don't think he'll, he'll get a start this season, but 
you know, stranger things have happened. Tim Glasby played fucking State of Origin last year, so stranger things can definitely happen. Uh, on to the next game. We'll keep progressing forward. Um, yeah, again, no real great surprises here, even as a Cowboys fan. Uh, the Warriors skipping out to a 22 points to 12 victory. Uh, I guess the, the biggest positive for the Warriors is the expectation from the general public was that this is a game that they should win based off current form, and they did. They went out and win it. Won it, sorry. <laughs> they, uh, I think to, to say they exceeded expectations um, is an understatement. I had a few people sort of say, oh, I thought the Cowboys were going to sort of find their way back into it late in the game there, but I didn't get that sense at all. I didn't think the attitude was right um, towards that back end, discipline-wise. There was just too much whinging about what the referees were doing and the, and the plays that they were calling. Um, and when that becomes your focus, as we've seen with a few sides this year, it's it's always going to be the detriment to your success. Uh, there's no way that you you can continue to question the, the referees' decisions and then your focus on winning the game exceeds that because it's, you know, negativity is what sort of sets you into overload. So, you know, it, it was a shame to see that, but um, I guess you sort of just say with the old ad adage, it is what it is. Um, but again, not to, to dwell on the, the negatives too much, I'll, I'll sort of gloss over them, but, you know, massive, massive props um to the New Zealand Warriors and what Kearney's continuing to build. So, you know, between the, the Warriors, uh, Newcastle, Tigers, and even the Dragons yet again, uh, you, you've got to give credit where credit's due and they're playing some some entertaining football. Uh, and I said it in the, the preview to this round, there's still that element of flair that they're having success with, but I think having the maturity of Blake Green there is is knowing when to pull them back. And and I guess they're, they're having that cap there and we're seeing them after you know, breaks and plays, they're doing that three-count breath, and fuck, it might look a bit weird and a bit dicky, but the fact that they've got those guys to buy into it, and it seems to be working so far, so why go away from it? And I guess having the, the success off the back of that helps, you know, it definitely helps. If you try and implement something new and the success doesn't come straight away, we're going to fob it off pretty damn quick, aren't you? Um, I just want to quickly, sorry for those guys that are following on live and even on YouTube, I haven't plugged my laptop in. Yep, we're good there. Sorry about that. <laughs> we're back. Um, yeah, so just to, to get back to that Warriors attack, big, big ticks in the box. Uh, some of the catch pass from Sean Johnson. Uh, we've seen uh, Paul Kent come out last week and say he didn't feel as if um, Sean Johnson deserved to come back into that side after they won without him and he, he isn't the linchpin to their success. Uh, he's very much, I guess, riding off the um, the coattails of the influence that Blake Green has brought to the club. And, um, you know, no doubt it is, is a big tick in the box and he's added to the performance of the Warriors. But, um, you know, to say something like that about Sean Johnson... Should he be at the club? I, I think after last year, he should have moved on uh, for, I guess, the betterment of his own personal career. I don't think he owed anything more to the Warriors in in the trying that he's given. But, um, you know, to say now that he has re-signed, 
to, to kick him out of a side that, you know, he kicked two field goals in five minutes to, to help beat the Raiders. He was exceptional um, in their performance against the Rabbitohs the week before that. So, you know, and then he comes out with this, you know, kicks it 100%. Uh, those two penalty goals in the 53rd and the 75th minute um, proved very, very important. Um, but yeah, the form of David Fusatua continues. And it just shows the power uh, to get back to the back fives, uh, providing support that I spoke about in like the Dragons game. Um, Fusatua, Mamalo, um, Qatar, you know, all those guys, RTS, they're to, to be a forward in a side like that when you've got not only athletic but big bodies taking those meters up within those first three and sometimes even four rucks trying to fight for territory is just a such a big weight off the back. You know, especially when you do have a few forwards that are a little bit older. You know, you've got the likes of Blair there. Um, having Simon Mannering back in the, the side for, for his first game, you know, it was going to take him a little while to adjust. So to have that luxury of, of being able to start your set on the front foot, um, it just goes to show what effect that has over the course of 80 minutes. Uh, and, and to get back to the Cowboys attack, more, more of the same has happened. Um, their completions were great. Um, you, you go down here, I think within the first half, we was sitting at about 90-odd percent, so they finished with 86%, so 32 of, of 37 sets. Um, you know, only only six errors. Um, their discipline was, was better again, so we only seen 15 penalties total in this game. Um, but I guess, you know, at times you see there um, the, the ineffective tackles, 21-4. to four. They just really lost the middle. Uh, Jason Taumalolo, one of the guys here, ran for... Um, 107 meters with 11 hit-ups. So that's got to be his lowest numbers in a number of years. So, uh, you know, the, the pressure continues to mount. You lose Jordan McLean, you need certain guys to, to step up to the plate and start to perform, and, and it just hasn't happened um, at all. Uh, I, I thought the effort was there from, from Scott Bolton, but it's probably going to take him a little while to adapt to that, that starting speed after not having started at all for the first uh, four rounds, um, you know, he proved pivotal, um, as did Corey Jensen last year in their run to the grand final uh, in place of uh, Matt Scott, who was out through injury. But it just showed when they did play with a bit of speed into the line, uh, ben, ben Hampton's try evidenced that. And for whatever reason, they just couldn't continue to replicate it. And their, their fifth tack tackle options for me continue to break down. I don't know if it's a, it's a lack of communication or or awareness, but it, it almost seems like um, Hampton finds himself with the ball and he doesn't really realise that it's the last or it should have been on a two-pass to Thurston or is, is is Morgan kicking or are he playing down a short side? Like it, There's so much confusion. There's still options there, but it's almost like when they get into good ball, they're, they're burning tackles that don't need to be burnt. Uh, you know, this is fucking professional football. You should be able to get to one point of the field and, and play straight away. That, that burning style of, of attack, um, you know, it, it needs to be reduced, especially when you're, you're playing from behind and you're desperate for victories. Um, you know, a, a month, a month without success, that's a, that's a lonely place to be uh, in, in professional football. And uh, when, when losing becomes a habit, uh, you, can, you can even see that it starts to weigh on the, the greatest of 
of players and, and we're seeing that with Jonathan Thurston. Uh, look, I, I agree to a certain extent with what uh, Greg Alexander have to say. He does look a step off the pace and I guess my question is more is, is he carrying some sort of injury? He didn't seem to be super comfortable with that shoulder out there. He, he sort of grabbed that at a couple of times. And um, yeah, he just didn't really want to take the ball into the line and, and play deep like he's so good at doing and when that doesn't happen, it really limits the opportunities of of the talents of, of Cohen Hess and, and Gavin Cooper on the edges. But uh, I can't remember who was bringing it up. It might have even been Cronk pregame uh, talking about Morgan. He's sort of, it's almost like he's sort of half standing off because all the talk has been around, oh, you know, once um, Jonathan Thurston is back, he's no, it's no longer his team. And that was the, the role that he played leading into the grand final last year. Uh, and, and he did it really, really well. Struggled the first couple of weeks, but then put together a really strong six-week six block that saw them uh, make the grand final unexpectedly. Uh, and now I really feel like Michael Morgan's playing within himself, which is such a shame to see. But uh, who knows? You know, it only takes one win to, to develop that confidence yet again. And there's a few teams within the competition that are, are going to be praying that that happens for them. So... Uh, they've got the Bulldogs in round six, so both desperate for a win, but you'd like to think that with the personnel that, that the Cowboys have and, and the maturity in the spine, you know, will we see Lachlan Coote come back now after two losses despite his availability? Uh, time will tell. So, yeah, we'll stop harping on about that. But, again, props props to the Warriors. They're, they're playing exciting footy. Love what they're doing on the edge via, you know, guys like Pulu, even Ignatius Parsi, Torhu Harris is really starting to find his own. It's great to see Simon Mannering back out in the field. Uh, and, and it's great to see the Warriors in general starting to perform with the, the uh, I guess, tenacity, but more so consistency that we, we pray would come into a club like that. All right, a bit of a scrappy game, this one. Uh, Newcastle up against the Brisbane Broncos. So the Knights went on to win. Um, Jakey, you're watching along there, I believe, champion. So you'll be, you'll be happy to hear this game. So, yeah, 15 points to 10, Newcastle went on. Uh, the... The big points of success were, were some of the younger guys again. I thought Lachlan Fitzgibbon and Kalen Pongle were probably Newcastle's best. Uh, we saw Danny Levi have his first start um, for for the season off the bench, and he played quite well defensively. He was strong and, and added that stability in the middle, which we were used to seeing um, as he started to mature last year. Um, so, yeah, see there, Ponga, 223 metres, uh, two line breaks from... Fitzgibbon early on and before he finally uh, scored uh, the first try of the match. So we see a, a fairly even weight of possession. Completions were, were pretty close as well. Uh, I think Nathan Brown will probably be most happy with that and, and it's evidence as to why they, they held on to win. And um, I guess the, the game sort of played out fairly, fairly yeah, <laughs> Jakey Harris, fuck Bennett. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, Jaggy. saying there, uh, the Ponga-Fitzgibbon combo is gold. Yeah, just the, the ability of, I was discussing this with a couple of lads that I was watching the game with on Saturday night. It's almost, you, you know that Ponga's going to do that skip to the outside, but I think it's sort of hard to see with the angle that you watch the game on at home uh, versus the, the behind the, the play or in front of the play, the width that he must create with that, that movement. And I'd love to see that more often. Um, I would love to see that view more often to, to really understand what he's doing to that defensive structure with that footwork. 
because it, it really does engage defenders and create space on the outside. But then after a while, it attracts that inside defender. So then it, it leaves them, them vulnerable back on the inside once he starts to turn players back under. Uh, and that's really exciting to see. But um, leading into... Um, yeah, absolutely. So Jakey says, great to see Ponga starting to play a bit more on the right side too. Yeah, so we've seen all the success down that left edge. But yeah, starting to even the play up and, and show up both sides of the ruck. And I guess that probably stems from um, the way that Mitchell Pearce is trying to direct the side and say, hey, let's let's not try and rest on our laurels here just because it is working. Let's try and create some sort of dynamic. And I get, I dare say, Jakey, that that probably happened a lot too because of the dynamic change with Moga uh, now out for the season. And that's going to take a little while for the confidence of Ponga to develop that with, with Ross and CEO on that left edge. Um, but yeah, the Bronx, again, um, it was it was almost a, a bit of a sniff similar to the Dragons-Rabbits. They sort of stayed close enough where you're like, oh, fuck, are they going to snag this? But even though the, the score read quite close, um, you were never really confident that the Bronx were, were going to cross the line and and actually go on and win the match. Uh, when they look good, surprise, surprise, I've said it week after week, it was when Milford or Nicarima got their running game going. Uh, we seen Milford quite unluckily go through the line and then fucking, I don't know what happened, he tried to throw that pass and it just crumbled along the ground. Um, yeah, it was it was really, really odd. The, the forwards really struggled uh, and that's where I felt... Um, that Newcastle were going to have success. I thought the experience of, of guys like um, Guerra, Hyington, and Lilliman were going to play into their favour. Uh, missing Alex Glenn was, was quite evident. Uh, the return of, of Pangai didn't prove to be uh, too much of a, an influence. And we see, yeah, the, the negative play there from the Bronx, 10 errors. Um, and even though the penalty count was quite low, so first time we've seen single-figure penalty count probably this year, I would imagine, uh, but again, you, you look at the difference there. They don't give away that penalty. There's two points off, so they're back to 13-10. Osako kicks out of the goal, 13-12. All of a sudden, we're, we're looking at a, a totally different nature of the game heading into the final stages. Do they play for a field goal? Perhaps take it to extra time, putting the pressure on Newcastle yet again. So these are little clutch things, and, and now that the game is being scrutinised a lot more and we're seeing more and more penalties... Um, this is the difference between winning and losing that we're starting to take note of this season. And an area where it was most evident was not only in the Cronulla Storm game last week, but also Eels Penrith, which we'll get to soon enough. Uh, I guess to sort of touch on the whole discussion um, between, or argument between Brown and, and Bennett, uh, it sort of irked me the way uh, Bennett carried himself in that post-match press conference. Um, I know it's nothing really new from what we've come to expect of Wayne Bennett and, and the way he does talk in those press conferences, but I guess what shits you even more is Darius Boyce tries to be exactly like him. He's gotten a little bit better, but it's still it's quite frustrating to watch. Um, and it's, it's an area, I guess, where I sort of sympathise with the, the mainstream media and knowing that it's their job and they're trying to ask that and there's one dude that got grilled he's like oh you know um, <laughs> asking about dominant halves is not really a dominant half it sort of goes against Bronx, Bronx history and 
And Bennett's like, oh, you know, it's not the history at all. You know, the eight years that I wasn't there, uh, they never had a dominant half, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, just didn't really give up too much. It was, was quite short saying it, um, you know, that there was questions asked, do there need to be changes in the halves or any t- changes across the team? He's like, you know, this is the best team that we've got at the club. And like, that was it. There was no justification for it. It was just a, a blanket statement. Um, and, and I think that's just shit. If, if that's the best team in the club and he, he seemed to brush it off and saying he's quite happy with, with where they were at and they were improving and that they've just got to, you know, stick with it and a few things got to go their way. And like I said, sort of broke it down there a little bit. Yeah, if, if that penalty doesn't go against them, if they get a kicker goal, you know, perhaps they, they put themselves in a position where they can snag a win um, like they did against the Tigers. But I guess that, that comes with the expectation of, um, of being a Broncos supporter and being a Broncos player or, or coach is the expectation of winning is there straight away. It doesn't matter who's fucking wearing those jerseys. That expectation of win is always there. Uh, and, and they're definitely not delivering that, and, and I'm hearing all about it with a lot of guys that I associate with who are Broncos supporters. But yeah, so, something needs to change. You, you can't just keep hoping that the same guys are going to find form when they're not losing. Um, I don't know whether that's in the in the forward pack. I said it last week, I think uh, Jack Bird just needs to find the footy more, whether we put him in a 13 jersey and, and see what happens. I think you've, you've got to ask it. You left... Tom Oppachik on the bench there played no minutes, so what the fuck's the point? You're better off having a four that could contribute rather than having an outside back sit on the sideline for 80 minutes. So, yeah, interesting time moving forward for the Broncos, and, um, yeah, I guess all will be revealed in, in the coming weeks to see if anything does change um, in Wayne Bennett's 17. On to Sunday footy, we're, we're almost home. Uh, this was probably my favourite game of the round, to be honest. It was, it was really interesting. Uh, quite high-scoring game, 32 points to 20. Um, two the Gold Coast Titans, so they go back-to-back. They are the highest-ranked Queensland team, who would have thought after after five weeks of footy that they'd be the, the highest-ranked team, especially with the uh, the lack of experience that is, is across the board, most notably in the halves. Um, and again, the, the up-and-down start for Trent Barrett's uh, Sea Eagles continues. But I think uh, one, one thing that I sort of took note out of this game was even though the... The Titans conceded 20 points. And they conceded 14 last week. You know, they conceded a lot to beat um, the Raiders in round one. I think that comes down to the age of the squad and the experience of the squad. And we speak about sides winning games with their defence. I think the the Titans are going to be quite the contrary to that style of play. 